Why don't you just learn how to make your own breakfast? I don't I don't understand why you think that preparing oatmeal is complicated. It's two ingredients. A few steps. I will be able to do it once she just writes it down on a piece of paper. <laughs> it's on the box. The box comes with the instructions on how to make oatmeal. She feels tremendous pleasure in uh, making that. I don't think she feels tremendous pleasure. She's telling you she doesn't. It doesn't matter. Any which way I do it, she will find some flaw in them, which is fine because she is uh, kind of a Michelangelo of this cooking thing. She's she she's the Michelangelo of, <laughs> of instant oatmeal? Everything. I just, I think you're 70 years old and maybe it's time to learn something new. I think I could, but why bother? Things are working fine. If it ain't broke, why fix it? Well, your wife sure seems to think it's broke. No, it isn't. She's fine. She's doing fine. She's happy. She's happy to have me. Welcome back to another episode of Not Great, the podcast equivalent of crying loudly at the train station because you were supposed to go to Montreal to meet a boy you thought was your boyfriend, but he just texted you to say that you shouldn't come because he's too busy designing his next tattoo, which he never actually ends up getting. No, that never happened to me. Listen, you shut up. My mom likes to tell these long, languid stories about how I was conceived. Well, I mean, not how, as I'm sure you've come to understand already. My dad won't even acknowledge the presence of his own genitals, never mind their function. But my mom talks about how she miscarried after my brother, how much she wanted a little girl, and how I showed up, much later than planned, on the cusp of her 40s, and then I immediately ruined her life. But I haven't considered why my mother wanted a girl. For what? What would I give her that my brother couldn't? He, after all, ended up an accomplished lawyer and father, whereas I, to my credit, have kept one cat alive for eight years. The cat's not happy, but, I mean, she's still here. Most of us are a little obsessed with gender, even if we consider ourselves to be progressive. We like knowing what gender a new baby will be. We scale our baby shower gifts to be in line with that gender, even when we know that girl or boy on a birth certificate tells us nothing about a new little life. But it seems like the right time to think about why we care so much about a new arrival's gender and why we celebrate it with gender reveals. You know the ones I'm talking about. The parties where new parents cut into a cake that reveals either pink or blue icing, balloons that get popped and shower down pink or blue confetti, Guns shot into the sky, releasing blue or pink gunshot residue. Just cute stuff. It seems like a good time to think about the weirdness of a gender reveal now, since at least one of them was the cause of the El Dorado fire in San Bernardino County in Southern California. It started from a smoke-generating pyrotechnic device, burned more than 10,000 acres of land, and you know what? After all this, I still have no idea what gender the wildfire is. A girl? Does the literal scorched earth make it a girl? In order to appropriately understand why our Instagram and TikTok pages are filled with people cutting into gendered cakes or blowing up baby blue bombs, we need to know where it all started. So I call Jenna Carvanitas, the woman generally considered responsible for starting gender reveal parties in the first place. 
So in 2008, I had a gender reveal party, which was misnamed. And also that's actually not what I called it. I called it a peep show because I made a cake that looked like a duck. So it was a little bird. It was a peep show. So I did this party just for me and my family. I I really had no thoughts at all about it going viral or anybody ever copying it. And my reasons for doing a party were much different than people do the parties today. I had had several miscarriages. So this was, I was finally able to carry a pregnancy long enough to be able to know if it was a boy or a girl. So I was really celebrating that milestone more for myself. And then I was just doing it to kind of get my family excited. It was a little thing we did in the backyard and it went as viral as anything could in 2008. And the story was picked up by a magazine called The Bump. They did a two-page spread about me and my pregnancy journey and where I like to shop and things like that. Jenna's gender reveal party was pretty tame by modern standards. She cut into a cake that looked like a duck, and it was pink inside, revealing that she would soon have a daughter. But those parties have gotten weirder and weirder since Jenna first had hers 12 years ago. They're even more binary, more aggressively male or female, aggressively pink or blue. Now it's bows or baseball or guns or roses, furthering the gap between what we understand to be male or female. Even Jenna thinks it's ridiculous. It's like if you're not, you know, the tractor boy or the tutu girl that somehow, you know, there's something wrong with you. And they've assigned this whole personality and put a lot on these little babies that aren't even born yet. They're a whole lot better in other things to to learn about your child. You just can't know them yet at that point in the pregnancy. So it's not great. Hey, that's the name of this show. Were there some experiences that you had that maybe changed your perspective? Because I think there are a lot of people who had parties like yours 10 years ago and haven't really pivoted their feeling about it and maybe have gotten even more solidly placed in the idea of the gender binary. I think the people who are digging their heels in for the gender reveal party are the same people who are shooting the guns and clinging to those guns. So, you know, that's a political message. And I I really feel like it's a dangerous one because it's it's one, it's it's the, the clinging to the gun rights. And it's also the same people who are, uh, wanting an erasure and denial of the existence of trans and non-binary people. So it doesn't surprise me that there is a certain political point of view who is digging their heels in. The first experience I had really running into this was when my middle daughter, who is very girly, for a lack of a better word, she was crying on Christmas morning that Santa Claus had brought her a boy toy. She was very upset about the Legos. Uh... They were primary colored. I'm like, I didn't get it. I was like, what? What is, what is wrong? Honey, why are you crying? And she's like, Santa Claus brought me a boy toy. And I'm like, oh, she's painted herself into a box at the age of two and a half. She was just shy of three. She was two and a half and she yeah. knew like these colors are for me and these are for boys. Absolutely. Wow. And it was disheartening because I thought, okay, what, where does this end? Because if it starts here, if it starts at a, at a, even a gender reveal party and, and now everything is pink and the entire nursery is pink and da 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 is all pink. And then you've got these girls who want to go into the world and they think, oh, there must be something wrong with me because this binary has been defined so aggressively. There must be something wrong with me if I step outside of the box and I want to fit in. I don't want to be outside the box. Girls have a hard time enough, you know, with with being seen and being looked at and taking up space. And now they have to to walk outside of a box to to what? To experience a, a red Lego? I mean... Thomas Page McBee, a writer and author of Man Alive and Amateur is a trans man who has been thinking about gender reveals too, but from the perspective of what it tells us about masculinity. After all, even gender reveal parties have been tweaked to make straight, cis men more comfortable in participating. Come on, fellas, you know how gay it is to cut a cake. Can't do that in front of the boys. 
It sounds like from your perspective that so much of it is like a panic response. Like these parents who are having kids and are feeling at sea about maybe a lot of things. I don't think it's a coincidence that this is sort of a, it's sort of presented as almost a oddly gender neutral way to welcome a baby, you know, rather than doing these sort of very like, you know, historically women only kind of events. It's like a way to bring dads, I guess, into the process through explosions and through sort of (laughs) mitigating, you know, anything that might feel feminine. I didn't think about that, but it's true because I mean, so much of this, I mean, gender reels started with cakes, which Mm -hmm. are coded in our sort of dumb cis brains is like cakes are for girls. Mm -hmm. And then men to sort of involve dads, it became like guns and fireworks and cars that explode somehow with things coming out the back like (laughs) i guess i didn't think about that but yeah it is like cis men have tried to (laughs) turn gender reveals into an even more gendered event that's how it feels to me i mean also i think it's not a coincidence again that this these started right after the Great Recession, which led to what people called a masculinity crisis for a long time, and which actually was a sort of socioeconomic experience of men, you know, falling behind with education and dropping out of the workforce and all of these things that were actually about masculinity, but people were looking at them from sort of an economic perspective. But now we're looking back and we're seeing all these things that came out of that moment and gender roles really shifted. It, it really wasn't about trans people at that moment. It was about something much bigger, I think, about what being a man means in the world and what being a woman means in the world. And then trans people sort of showed up, uh, you know, in, in terms of visibility. We've obvi- obviously always been here, but that sort of became part of the whole swirl. And I think if you felt anxious about your place in the world in that moment, which you maybe did from a lot of different perspectives, if you were trained and socialized within gender fundamentalism, as most of us are, the natural reaction is to sort of double down on your own understanding of gender. No one is saying it's easy to detangle ourselves from the gender binary and from the expectations we put on people when we call them a girl or a boy. When my friend had her second kid a few months ago, I was so excited for her, partly because she was having a girl. Her son was two, and it felt like a nice completion for her family, one of each. But what was I even excited for? Her daughter is here, and nothing about her gender has influenced how much I like her stupid, fat little face. Even still, despite how progressive I think I am, I attached value to her being a her. So what do we do with our with our unconscious bias when we, you know, we say things about boys and girls when they're really little and we don't even register it for a very long time sometimes. So what do we do to work towards a place where at least we're aware that we're saying it and and we can try to adjust in the moment? When I transitioned, the first few years were really hard for me and especially as a feminist and as somebody who really you know, I bet spent 30 years in a female body. I, I really, even though I was more masculine and androgynous and so on, like I, I really felt like I was going to be this like great champion for women. And I just was going to understand intuitively all this gender stuff, even in my male body. And it just wasn't like that. It was like, as soon as I transitioned and, and the way the world treated me and the privileges I had and the expectations of my body were just, it was just almost like a flood all the time of just conditioning. And I, I felt like I couldn't, see it clearly after a while, you know, and it really kind of freaked me out because I was like, I don't agree with a lot of the ways I'm expected to behave. And yet somehow I'm still finding myself more and more behaving in those ways. And I don't know how to stop this, you know, like I'm happy with my body, but I'm not happy with what it means in the world. And how do I change it? 
so from that place, like the, the only solution I could come up with was just trusting my gut and realizing that I, I had a way to communicate to myself when I was uncomfortable. And I find this is true for me too, with, you know, not just about myself, but you know, I have nephews too. I, you know, I have, I have kids in my life and I feel myself sometimes doing the same thing or make, I, I make assumptions about them or I see them do certain behaviors and I try to guard against assumptions. I feel myself making when I notice I make them, I, I try to stop and just sort of ask myself, like, where did that come from? You know, like, do I believe that? What does that mean? I think that if you're a woman, you you probably often find yourself noticing gender, you know, it's not like it's something right. that's foreign to you in other contexts, you know, and I think that teaching kids to notice gender is maybe more important than teaching them what gender has to look like, you know? Right. I'd rather teach a boy to, to wonder like what boys will be boys means, you know? I would live a long and happy life if I never heard boys will be boys again. <laughs> like that's one of those words or one of those like idioms that it's like, if it never came up again, I would, I would die so happy. It means nothing. It's such a ridiculous thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's such a ridiculous thing. And it's used from like, if like a boy is loud to like, he killed my dog. Jenna didn't do another gender reveal. Her first child, who she did have the gender reveal party for, has turned out to be pretty disrespectful of the gender binary. Good for her. And let's not forget, that child does not have rights <laughs> until they are a child, until they are born. It is still a piece of your body. You know, I'm a pro-choice person, and it does kind of really bother me just maybe a little bit that we've assigned an entire personality and personhood to somebody who isn't a person yet. And, you know, my daughter likes to wear tuxedos. You know, she had her short haircut and had her tuxedo on. It was a little powder blue number she had going on. I just thought it was kind of funny. Like, it is kind of funny that the world's first gender reveal baby was actually turned out to be this sort of, like, different girl. Is she doing your laundry now? Among other things. <laughs> I will not give you the pleasure of me accepting defeat or anything. Defeat on what? Uh, well, you're trying to trying uh, that I should submit to the man. <laughs> who is the man in this context? Your wife, who makes every meal for you? I'm North American idiomatic uh, language. I know, but in North American idiomatic language, the man is is something. So I'm asking you in this context, who is the man? Authority. What authority, mom? Yeah, of course. What do you think? Of course she is. You think mom is the man? He is the authority in this household. Picture this. You have a net worth of a literal billion dollars, all because you wrote a series of books about a whack-ass orphan and his dopey white friends. Millions upon millions of children around the world read all of your books, which, like many books, are all too long. And once these children become adults, they, for some reason, keep clinging to your books. They get tattoos of owls and lightning bolts and wireframe glasses and nine and three quarters and a bunch of other shit that I don't understand, despite the fact that I, too, have read all these books multiple times. They have weddings where the theme is your book. The only other book people theme their weddings around is the Bible. Then, instead of enjoying your 50s and semi-retirement, again, with a billion dollars, enjoying the peace and quiet afforded to you by never having to go on the internet again, you just keep fucking talking. And piece by piece, tweet by tweet, you start destroying the legacy that took you more than 20 years to build. 
Which is interesting because you wrote a character called Cho Chang and we let you get away with it. It seems that now that J.K. Rowling has ample time on her hands, she's refocusing her energy on going after trans people. And if you think that's an exaggeration, don't forget that her Wikipedia page has an entire section called Transgender People. This all really kicked off in December 2019, when she defended a woman who was fired for saying that trans women are not women. Then this past June, she was back at it, needlessly critiquing the phrase, people who menstruate, claiming that it erased the concept of sex. This is dumb, obviously, but it was so dumb that nearly the entire cast of all those Harry Potter movies, along with a few Potter fan sites, disavowed her comments. Then, in early July, she signed an open letter in Harper's Magazine, complaining about cancel culture and, I I don't know, demanding that it never apply to her, as if she has somehow been canceled and as if her work isn't some of the most recognizable literature in the entire world. And she's back at it again. This month, her latest novel, Troubled Blood, was released. It's the fifth book in the Cormoran Strike series, and it's all about a cis man who dresses up like a woman in order to kill women. Groundbreaking stuff. Sounds like someone caught a late-night showing of Silence of the Lambs on TBS. I don't know what Rowling's problem is with trans people. I don't know if a trans person was rude to her on the tube once and she's taking that to her grave. I don't know if she thinks that maybe her readers are stupid and wouldn't put together that the pseudonym she's using for these books, Robert Galbraith, is upsettingly close to the name Robert Galbraith Heath, a conversion therapist who pioneered shock treatment to rid people of homosexuality. Rowling has denied that this is her pseudonym's namesake, but I don't know. If I made up a name for my book that's just one big allegory for trans people using bathrooms, I would do a single, solitary Google before I hit send to my agent. There are a lot of Rowling fans, Harry Potter fanatics, people who name their children Hermione, which, by the way, will age about as well as the name Lolita has, who are struggling with Rowling's statements about trans people. And good, it should trouble you that this children's book author feels like it's her duty to turf her way through her second act. But the thing about her books and about Harry Potter is that it's bigger than her at this point. History will forget her the way it's kind of forgotten countless other writers of beloved fiction. C.S. Lewis was kind of a racist, but no one would fault you for reading Chronicles of Narnia. Dr. Seuss was... Actually, he was also kind of racist. But you know what? How the Grinch stole Christmas fucking slaps. Read Harry Potter if you really have to. Have your themed parties. Talk about butterbeer as if you aren't 36 years old and haven't recently blacked out from doing shots out of someone's cleavage. Oh my God, remember drinking with strangers? There was nothing better than licking salt off of some lady's neck. The things you miss in the apocalypse, you know? No one is stopping you from reading her books. But it's also worth remembering there are more books in the world than just hers, more fantasy series, more fun in literature. Nostalgia is nice, but it's not everything. And maybe, for you, it's not worth enriching a woman who's already plenty rich and is using her platform to hurt people who don't deserve it. If you really need to buy another copy of her book, get it from a used bookstore instead. But hey, enjoy Rowling's work. I won't stop you. It's from a time before we knew that, actually, when she wrote all those impressive but short-sighted villains in her stories, she was really writing about herself. See? Nostalgia.
Okay, let's take a deep breath, let's stretch, and let's finish off this week right with my favorite segment where we find something on TikTok that makes us laugh and we ask ourselves, is that anything? Today's respite comes from Christina, whose husband has questions about how one goes about acquiring bangs. Mike just asked me, where did you ask me? You tell him. (laughs) How do you acquire bangs? Like, if you don't have them now, how do you get them? Exactly. If you don't have them, how are you just going to get them? When you had long hair, how did you acquire short hair? I cut it. Okay, so how do you acquire bangs? But that's adding hair. It's not removing hair. No, it's not. You're parting your hair and cutting it shorter. What? (laughs) Yet another adult man who does not understand the mechanics of hair. Is that anything? Okay, that's the week. If this episode somehow gave you baby fever, please name your rat kid after me. Silent letters included. It's not great, but maybe next week will be better. Not Great is a production of BuzzFeed News and Embassy Row. Our executive producers are Carolina Vatslaviak, Charlotte Sims, Samantha Hennig, Julia Cassidy, Anna Marie Johnson, and Barry Jean Dorman. The show is edited by Maureen Vegas. Today's episode was written and produced by me, and our theme music is by Shawnee Cage. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at at Saatchi, that's S-C-A-A-C-H-I, or email the show at notgreat at buzzfeed.com. Smell you later. Money, money is getting steadily. Yeah, would you like to give me more? No. Well, then don't ask about my money. Unless you're going to give me some, we have nothing to discuss. Is the money coming in steadily? I'm not it's, asking it's go, you. It's going fine. I could use more of it. For what? Stuff. Buy real estate and then we will talk. Yeah, you're right. Let me go buy some New York real estate. That's uh, very much in my grasp. Buy some um, uh, Hackensack. In Hackensack, wherever the hell that is. Garden City, New Jersey. Why is he so obsessed with New Jersey?